Man, I love that story. That really is a story of our vision here to multiply. And what's amazing about that story, and I hope you picked it up, was that Jill was her small group leader and Rev Kids, and literally over a period of a decade, now we have seen God take the fruit that, or the seeds, really, that was planted in her life, and then now it is multiplying in others. And that is why we love serving so much here, because you just never know the sacrifices that you make and the things that you do, and all of our teams that serve multiple locations, um, multiple gatherings a lot of times, um, you, you may not see it right then, but you are making a difference eternally in people's lives. And then our goal, our really our vision, is to see that seed that is planted to multiply and then continue moving on and affecting other people's lives. And so we wanted to share that story with you as a way to celebrate. But as always, we're gonna get into the message. Before we do, pray with me, and then we'll get, uh, jump in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for... Um, your grace, even as we just heard um, in that story, that to think of how you love us in the way um, that those of us who have children, we, we see our children and, and to know that the love that we have for them um, really pales in comparison to the love that you have for your children. And so God, thank you for that reality. We thank you for the story of redemption in that story and how you Simply use our availability, God, to touch the hearts and lives of other people. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to do that even today. God, as we continue to kind of just walk through the gospel according to John, as we get into a new chapter today, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I really believe that you have a message for us in this text, and, and it is one a lot of times that we wrestle with and even thinking about how you love us and thinking about how things may be going in our lives and how sometimes we don't always understand. And so, God, I pray that you would use this text to speak to us, to open our eyes and ears to see the truth that is in it. And as always, God, I pray that you would help me to preach in such a way that honors and glorifies you and then also in a way that is helpful to us. And so, God, we ask you to fill us with your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, again, if you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, we just closed out John chapter 10 last week, and chapter 11 now is really a new story um, that you're going to see, and it's very similar to chapter 10 in that the entire uh, chapter is about basically one story. And this story is rather... Uh, Amazing. In fact, arguably, it is the, the context of Jesus's greatest miracle that he ever performed, or arguably one of the greatest miracles that he ever performed. But chapter 11 and chapter 12 both are pivotal chapters in the gospel according to John, because what you're going to see in chapter 11 and 12 is the ending of Jesus's public ministry, of the public phase of his ministry. And then in chapter 13, it's going to go into a more private, what's called the, the teaching, where, where Jesus spends some some real quality time before his death with his disciples. And so chapter 11 and chapter 12 is going to end that really public phase of his ministry. And chapter 11 is going to show you how it ends in, again, one of the most spectacular fashions, because it is the story of Lazarus. And also this message is really, which I can't believe that Easter is almost here. I mean, we are literally just weeks away 
from Easter. And, and this story of chapter 11, we're gonna look at the pinnacle of the story on Easter week when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And if you've been around church, you may have heard that story before. And so this weekend's message, we're going to start to look towards that. We're, we're kind of making our way towards Easter just weeks away. And so this is a very pivotal kind of um, transitional chapter and week as we get into not only this next story in the chapter, but how it's going to help us set up for Easter. And so everything that we're going to talk today in John chapter 11 is really just kind of context for what's going to happen in Easter in John, later on in John chapter 11. So again, we're gonna be in John chapter 11. We're gonna do verses one through 16 today, but I'm gonna read verses one through six first to kind of set up the story, and then we'll, we'll jump into the rest of it, all right? So John chapter 11, verse one, it says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, that hasn't happened yet. That'll happen later in John, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But John is just reminding us of who this person is and who these people are and who this family is, because this family is really integral into the life and ministry of Jesus. Not only is he very close to them, um, he... Uh, lives with them for a lot, a lot of time, hangs with them. They're very prevalent in his ministry. So these are very, very important people to Jesus is what I'm saying. Verse three says, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. Now there's a lot here, so let's start to unpack it. First, if you remember from last week, Jesus was in Jerusalem in John chapter 10. That's when he healed the blind man. And things, the, again, the heat started turning up to literally where the Pharisees were going to stone Jesus. We talked about that last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, you go back and watch that message. And at the very end of John chapter 10, it said that Jesus left. He left the area of Jerusalem and he went back into where John was baptizing which we did this way back in, in John chapters uh, or John chapter one in the very few weeks, uh, the very first weeks of this message series. You can go back and watch those. I think it was week two and week five. I put a map on. It was awesome. You should go back and watch it. But what I was talking about there that I wanted to make reference to here, what's very intriguing to me is Jesus left the area around Jerusalem, which in John chapter 11, this Bethany is about two miles east of Jerusalem. But there, there was a lot of heat there. Um, a lot, people wanted to stone Jesus. They were looking to kill him. And so Jesus left, and it says he went to the other side of the Jordan where John had been baptizing. Well, John chapter 1, verse 28 tells us that the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing was also a town called Bethany. So if you're paying attention, there's two different Bethanies, all right? Two different towns, two different locations. And so one is about two miles east of Jerusalem, 
But if you keep going east to the Jordan, Rivers, uh, Jordan River, which was many miles away, on the other side of that was another Bethany where Jesus was hanging out at the end of John chapter 10, and now he's hanging out in John chapter 11. So he's there, he's working there. Again, we wrapped it up last week in John chapter 10, kind of talking about that. And now he gets word that back where he just left from, back towards Jerusalem in Bethany, which is on the, the east side of the Mount of Olives, his friend that he cares about a lot, Lazarus, is sick. He's ill. And so they sent word to him, which again would have taken multiple days journey to get to Jesus. So he hears about it. He hears that he is sick and they ask Jesus to come. And, and the way they appeal to it, um, and I don't think it's trickery, but I mean, it just helps you understand. Literally, the sister said, Jesus, the one that you love is ill. Naming Latin, meaning Lazarus. The one you love, he's ill. Can you please come back? We need you. We need you. And I don't know how long you've lived or what the story of your life is, but if you're anything like me, you have people that you love, or maybe even yourself, who have at times been ill. Something has happened in their life. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you heard about my sister. I mentioned this last week, that she is going through a lot right now. She has cancer, and it has grown in her body, and she's had surgery, and so this concept of someone that I love is ill is very prevalent to this text, which is, I just found, uh, I don't know if that's weird or strange or God, I don't know. It just is like, I can relate is what I'm getting at. This is someone Jesus loves. And this someone is now ill. And this illness is going to lead to death. But if you're paying attention to the text of what Jesus said in John chapter three, uh, John chapter 11, verse three and four, Jesus says when he hears about this, this illness is not going to lead to death. It's not gonna lead to death, but it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, before you start thinking that this is evidence that the Bible is wrong because Jesus said it wasn't gonna to lead to death and actually did lead to death. Let me help you understand what Jesus is getting at here. By definition, Jesus isn't saying that Lazarus is not going to die at all. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this is not gonna to lead to death ultimately. This is not gonna to lead to death ultimately. Jesus, as you're going to see uh, as the story goes on, is well aware of the fact that Lazarus, in this moment, this illness that he has, we don't really know what it is, he is going to die from it. He is going to die. But when Jesus says this is not going to lead to death, what he's talking about is death doesn't have the end of the story. That he's not going to lead to death ultimately, where he's going to die and he's going to stay dead. And you'll see that this is, there's a lot of overtones in this whole chapter, which is just really cool to me that it, it lined up in our teaching calendar that we're actually going to be talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead on Easter. And so you're gonna see a lot of parallels in this. A lot of, this is a real story. It's not just a metaphor, but it has a lot of metaphorical overtones to help us understand what really is going on when we can start to see with spiritual eyes what God is doing in the world. 
And so Jesus isn't saying he's not going to die, but what he's saying is he's not gonna die ultimately in this sense from this illness, but that this thing that's going on right now, this illness, when he does die, it's going to be for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, hey, there's something greater going on here than you can see. There's a greater reality going on here, and I'll unpack this more in just a little bit, so I don't, just kind of a teaser, so make sure you hang in, all right? But there's a greater reality going on here that you can't see. And God is going to literally use the events of a, what's about to happen, and it's the events themselves are not going to be good. But God is going to use them because ultimately he's in control of all things and he will direct all things for his glory and our good. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. And so Jesus is trying to clue them into a greater spiritual reality here beyond what they can currently see because all they can see is our friend, our family member that we love is dying. That's all we can see. But then what's really striking to me is in verse 5, in six, it said, now, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But the sentence is written in such a way, verse five and six is written in such a way, it says, now he loved them, so he stayed two days longer. Which means this, it was in his love for the guy that was dying and his two sisters, that he stayed. It was in his love that he stayed. Now, it's very interesting to me that John wrote this this way. Because let's be honest, and, and I don't know if you've been around here for very long, but I like to joke a lot of time. I know this is church, and we don't typically like being honest up in church, which is really kind of funny to me. We like to play fake which, you know, any church that has a mission statement, we're real people for a real world. I'm always like, no, you're fake people, all right? Because we all act like that. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, brother, I'm good, brother, I'm good, right? And so it's okay when you look at a text to look at it honestly and ask honest questions of it and wrestle with it. And so I think John writes here in John 5, uh, 11, verse five and six, when he says, now he loved them, so he stayed he writes that because, watch this, it would be very easy for us to hear that Jesus stayed two days longer and interpret the fact that he did it because he didn't love him. It would be very easy for us to interpret Jesus's delay in going to Lazarus as somehow, well, he doesn't really love him. Because think about it like this. I already told you, and I, and I showed you last week, you know, geographically what we're talking about here from Jerusalem down to Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. So that's a couple days journey. So the moment that Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was ill, what we would think is the moment that you heard that, you would set out west and go there because it's a couple days journey. And here's what's crazy. We'll learn about this later. But by the time that Jesus gets to Lazarus, he has been dead four days. He's been dead four days. So Jesus gets word, and it took you know a couple days to get to Jesus, and then Jesus stays there two more days. And let's just say it like this. The moment he hears it, Lazarus is, is four days. Like, he's about to die. Jesus stays two more days. 
Then he walks for two days, and so he gets there, and he's been dead four days. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because if you and I aren't careful, we would interpret Jesus's delay as somehow either a denial or he doesn't love us. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this point down. It's one of the main points that I have, and it's, it's a long one, but I think it's a good one, and I'm going to unpack it for you. God's delays are not necessarily God's denial, but are a demonstration of God's love and are for God's glory. Let me say that again. God's denials are not necessarily God's, or God's delays, sorry, God's denials are his denials, all right? But God's delays are not necessarily his denials, which means this, if he's delaying something, that doesn't necessarily mean he's denying it. It just hasn't happened yet. But they don't mean, watch this, his delays don't mean that he doesn't love you and that he's not gonna work this situation for his glory. It doesn't mean that. In fact, it means the exact opposite of that. His delays, watch this, are because he loves you. They are because he loves you. And they are because in whatever the circumstance and situation is that you're facing, he's working it for his glory and your good. And again, this is hard for us. As, as I've mentioned last week, and you heard two weeks before that when Pastor David preached about the story of my sister, I found out on a Sunday, literally after preaching here, I found out that my sister had fell and she was being rushed to the emergency room. And then literally within a matter of hours, we heard that it was a lot more drastic than what we thought. It wasn't just a pinched nerve or something like that. So that Sunday night, I booked a flight and I left Atlanta the very next day because I didn't want to delay getting to Arkansas and getting to see my sister because I love my sister. And I didn't want to delay it. I wanted to be there. And then she had, we thought the surgery was going to be on Monday, but then it was on Tuesday. And so I didn't want to delay it. Why? Because I love her. That makes common sense, right? But when we read a story like this, what I'm telling you is the reverse of that, though, is not true in the sense that if it's delayed, it means I don't love her. Or that God doesn't love you if he delays something in your life. The reason why this is so important is because if we're not careful, we will interpret God's delays in our life. Not only will we interpret them as his denials, that if he's delaying it, he's somehow denying it, but we'll go a step further, and this is where it can get sinful we'll go a step further and we'll think that his delays mean he doesn't love us. And we'll go a step further and we will think that there's no way that God could get glory out of delaying something. And this is where we have to understand. In fact, it's where Jesus is gonna go next. We have to start to understand that we have to see our situations through spiritual eyes. We have to see our situations through spiritual eyes. Don't forget John chapter 10 was about a blind man getting sight. 
about a blind man getting sight, and Jesus is gonna reference sight in here. And just, in fact, just let me read it, just let me read it, because I keep saying I'm gonna read it, so I might as well just read it, right? So let's look, John chapter 11, verse seven. It says, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? So remember, at the end of chapter 10, they picked up stones. They were going to kill him. That's why he left. And now they're going back. And the, the, the disciples of Jesus say, we can't go back there again? We're going to go back there again? Back to Judea? Remember, Bethany's right outside of Jerusalem. We're going to go back there again? They're going to stone you. And then look at verse 9. This is the part where I'm talking about you got to start to see with spiritual eyes. Verse 9 says this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Let's stop here for a second. Remember I told you just a second ago, you can be honest about you know, struggling when you look at these texts. You're like, I don't understand, I don't understand. This is one of those things that like, they just asked Jesus, are we gonna go back where they stone you? And Jesus is asking, there's 12 hours in a day, right? I don't know if you're anything like me, but you read that and you're like, what the heck? Jesus, they're gonna stone you. We've been hanging out here for two days. Lazarus is ill. Now we're going back and, and we're talking about a.m. and p.m.? What? But then look at what Jesus says. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light, sees, sees the light of this world. Verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now let's put this together. So Jesus gets word, Lazarus is ill, and it said, remember I told, out of his love he stayed, which means he delayed. He delayed going to the guy that was ill. And now two days have gone by, he's ready to go, and his disciples, they can't see either, not only why he delayed, because that would have made sense, but he's been waiting two days, and now they're like, well, you've already waited two days. Why do we need to go? You, you said that this guy, it wasn't gonna lead to death. Why do we need to go? Because they were gonna stone you last time we were there. I don't know if you remember that. They had rocks. They were gonna kill you. And then Jesus says the weirdest thing, and he asks the weirdest question. Are there not 12 hours in the day? I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus, but if you haven't been walking with Jesus long enough for him to ask you some weird questions along the way, you haven't been walking long enough. And watch this. His weird questions are always going to come in the most confusing times of your life when you've asked him to do something and he hasn't done it. You've asked him to move on something. You've asked him to come through on something and he hasn't done it and he's delaying it and you don't understand why he's delaying it and, and you think he's denying it and you for sure think that he doesn't love you and you can't see how this is all gonna work out for God's glory. You got bigger things to deal with and God's asking a question, how many hours are in the day? And it's right in those moments where, and I don't know, Again, I've been walking with Jesus now for three decades. It's right in those moments where his, when I start to interpret his delays as somehow he doesn't love me and he asks me a question, 
That's when I start to get frustrated. Like, why are you asking me this? It's like after Peter denied Jesus, and then after Jesus raises again, he asks Peter three questions. Do you love me? He's like, yes, you know I love you. And I can only imagine it's right in that moment when Peter's like, all this is going on, and that's what you're going to ask me? How many hours are in a day? And again, on the surface, we look at that, and you're like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Here's what I'm trying to help us to see. We've got to start to see circumstances through spiritual eyes, through spiritual lenses, where we start to recognize the point that I just made, that his delays are not necessarily his denials, but they are because he loves us. So let me say it to you like this. God loves you and I so much, he will delay stuff. He will delay it. And all the while, we're thinking that if he really loved us, he wouldn't delay it. And anybody who's had children and who's been a child, which is all of us, there's a whole concept in parenting called delayed gratification. In fact, it's not just parenting, but it's in life. It is giving up what I want now for what I want most. That's what delayed gratification is. Giving up what I want now, and for children, it's, you know, I want uh, chocolate ice cream for every meal, or I just want to eat a bowl of Reese's Puffs. Come on, somebody. For me, it was Lucky Charms and Captain's Crunch. Not Captain's Crunch. What am I talking about? Captain Crunch. In fact, a lot of times I would mix them. You don't get to be this side without some kind of creativity, right? And I would interpret my parents' delays on things as that somehow they don't love me. And it wasn't until I became a parent that I understood this fact. Their delays were precisely because they did love me. And that's what I'm trying to get you to see in this text. John said in verse five, he loved them, so he waited two days. And if you and I don't have spiritual eyes to see that, that when God delays things in our lives, we will start to believe the lies of the enemy that he's delaying it because he doesn't love us. And just a word of wisdom here, whatever the enemy lies to you, believe the exact opposite. Because that is what is true. Don't trust everything you think. Don't trust everything you feel. Because the enemy's gonna come in and lie to you, and the thing that he tells you, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would have never let this delay happen. If he loved you, he would have never let this thing go this direction. He would have never let your brother die. He wouldn't have let this thing happen. But what the text tells us is, it is precisely because he loves us that he let this happen. Why? It's connected to the second point. For his glory. So we have to understand something about God. The concept of God's glory is 
not only is it all over the Bible, but ultimately it is his purpose behind everything. His purpose behind everything is his glory. And it's not because he's egocentric and you know, arrogant. It's because God's glory is the highest good. So when God is out for God's glory, he's out for God's glory because the best thing for the people he created is to enjoy his glory. So the reason why God is out for his glory over any other thing is because he doesn't want you to be satisfied with some other lesser glory, some other lesser thing, because you're not satisfied in now what is the ultimate thing, which is God and his glory. And so if you read the book of Isaiah, it's all over where God is for God's glory. Why is God for God's glory? Because the Bible says he will not share it with anyone. And here's what I'm trying to get you to see. It is precisely in God's delays where he reorients our glories. Let me give you examples. I have never done anything for God, and I, I put that in air quotes because it's not that I'm doing it for him, but, but anything I've ever done, whether it's in my own personal life, I'm trying to honor God, whether it's leading uh, in ministries that I've led before, whether it's leading this church, anything I have ever attempted to do because of God's commands in my life, whether it is tithe, whether it is serve, whether it is give him my life, whether it's to be a pastor, everything that I've ever done has always faced obstacles and delays. Everything. And, and this is one of the great fallacies of walking with Jesus is we think that if we walk with Jesus, he's just gonna clear the path and everything is gonna be all easy. And, and the exact opposite is true. I mean, I've never attempted to do anything great for God that didn't come with obstacle after obstacle and delay after delay. And here's where we have to be careful. A lot of times we interpret those delays as the activity of Satan. And I'm not saying they're not sometimes, but all I'm saying is this, they're not always just him. It's like when COVID happens or any war happens or anything bad happens, we say automatically it's the devil. Well, how do you know it's the devil? It could be God. When we were building our first building, in fact, with every building we've ever built here at this church, but the very first one in Canton, if you were around here during this time, this was like 2011, 2012, we got financing, bought our land here in Canton, and then we got uh, bonds to build our very first building. Well, halfway through our bond uh, issue and our construction of our building, our bond company, which was basically our bank, went out of business. Like, ceased to exist. And I don't know if you've ever built anything, but if your financing falls through, that's a problem. That was a delay. It delayed us moving into this location by at least a year. Then when we were getting to almost the end of construction, our general contractor almost died. Like was in the hospital on life support. And we had to scramble and get other people involved to try to finish the project and there was a delay. Everything we have ever done has always had delays. 
And here's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's not because God doesn't love you. The delays are evidence that he loves you. And they are also there to remind you that God will not allow this thing that you want to rob him of his glory. Because if he gives you a good thing, when you think he should give it to you, then you're God, not him. And God is not some kind of cosmic genie that if you just pray hard enough, rub on that lamp, you're gonna get what you want. So watch this, his delays are because he loves you. And his delays are because he will not let that thing rob him of his glory. Because the best thing God can give you is not the thing, it's himself. That's what's going on here. So look at verse 11. He says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he is falling asleep, he will recover. Now, remember, they don't want to go back because Jesus is going to get stoned, uh, not get stoned in that kind of way, but you know, he, he's going to get killed. They're going to throw stones at him, all right? So they're like, oh, if he's just asleep, dude, we don't have to go. He's going to recover. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly. Aren't you glad Jesus will talk to you plainly? I can't tell you how many times I'm so confused and Jesus, let me, let me dumb it down for you, bro. He didn't say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. Look at what he says. Lazarus has died. <laughs> he couldn't say it any more plainly than that. He has died. Now hold up. I thought you just said earlier he wasn't gonna die. And that's why they were confused. But look at this, verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That's the title of this week's message, so that you may believe. He say, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, literally that's what the name means, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, let us also go that we may die with him which is a really weird statement. I'll unpack it more in just a second. But let's think about this. Why in the world would Jesus delay it out of love, knowing that he's going to die, and then say it's actually good that he died? It's actually good that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now, theologians have all different types of reasons as to why they think that is, but here's one of the primary ones, and it tends to be where I land. See, if Jesus would have gone back the moment he heard, if like me, he would have hopped on a plane or hopped on a donkey or hopped on his sandals and took off, and he would have gotten there right as Lazarus was dying, like he didn't wait two days, and then travel for a few days, but he got there, then Lazarus would have been dead, but like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Princess Bride, but like kind of dead, like almost dead, but dead, like not breathing, but not dead. 
And it might be interpreted as like, oh, he was dead in that like he stopped breathing, but we did CPR, resuscitation, we brought him back. So Jesus delayed his going to the point where no one would argue that Lazarus was actually dead, dead. Because he was four days dead. He was in the ground in a cave behind a stone dead. He was behind a stone in his grave clothes dead. We'll get into this in Easter. He was behind a stone in his grave, stone, in his grave clothes, smelly dead. He was dead to the point to where no one could interpret his deadness to a level of like, ah, yeah, Jesus didn't perform that big of a miracle. Like, I mean, he's a CPR. But he allowed Lazarus to be dead so long to where there was absolutely no other interpretation other than the fact that Jesus brought him back to life with the power of his own word. So watch this. Jesus will allow things and sometime people in our lives to die because he loves us and because he wants to show his glory so that you and I don't interpret a good thing like a gift that God gives us to be a God thing or an ultimate thing. So Jesus had to let Lazarus die to the point to where there was no other option but Jesus. Listen to me. When you have delays in your life, I already told you about a couple that we had. Our bank went out of business. Our contractor almost died. And that's only just a few. I mean, I could write a book on them. Maybe one day I will. But every time I attempt to do something great for God, God will allow me to get in such a precarious position where I have no other option but to trust him alone. No other option. I'm just down to Jesus. And that's exactly where he wants us to be. See, we have financial fears, right? Inflation's going up, it's crazy. We have the economy's crazy, housing market's crazy, and if you're selling, that's awesome. If you're buying, that's horrible. I'm in your boat. I sold my house a few years ago, looking forward to buying land and building something and move back into my small townhouse, which was a rental house at the time, and we were like, oh, I have this whole plan. And then the world goes crazy, and now we're trying to make a move because this is a really small townhouse. We're like, God, what are we gonna do? And, and, and I try this option, and I try this option, and I try that option, and then God gets us to a place where we're like, hey, have you tried everything yet? And he allows us to try everything, squirm around in anxiety until we get to the point to where we say, God, I have no other option but you. And God says, finally, you're ready to believe. Because until I'm all you got, you won't realize that I'm all you need. Until you realize there's nobody left, you won't realize you don't need anybody else because I can make dead things come back. I can speak things into existence out of nothing 
I don't need economies. I don't need presidents. I don't need countries. I don't need buildings. I don't need stuff. I just need you to believe. That's it. And so Jesus says to them, it's to your advantage, it's to your benefit that I stayed here. Because if I went there, you wouldn't have trusted that I actually had the power to raise a dude four days dead. And you wouldn't have believed. And here's what's amazing. Thomas, the twin, got it. And listen to what Thomas said. I told you a second ago, it was weird. He goes, let us go also then that we may die with him. What a weird thing to say. Thomas hears Jesus and he says, listen, it's to your sake that Lazarus died. And now Thomas is like, well, if it's to our sake that Lazarus died, then why don't we all die? And he had no idea how prophetic he actually was. And here's the irony of the whole story. Jesus is going to awaken a dead man so that dead people could be awakened. He's gonna go awaken a dead man so that people who couldn't see with spiritual eyes because they were spiritually dead, as Ephesians 2 said, in their trespasses and sins, we are dead. But God made us alive. And the reason why, listen, the reason why so many of us when the delays come, we interpret them as denials, we interpret them as he doesn't love us, is because we haven't died to ourselves yet. We haven't died yet. And I'm gonna leave you with this quote. It's one of my all-time favorite quotes by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a German pastor who led a church in the midst of World War II. In fact, he actually died weeks before it was over in a concentration camp. Listen to what he said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It's in his book that's entitled The Cost of Discipleship. The irony of the whole story is Jesus let a man die so that dead men could live. He let a man die so that dead men can live because he had a greater purpose and he said God's glory will be shown through it. Listen to me, church. God will get us through this. He will get us through inflation. He's done it before. He will get us through world wars. He's done it before. He will get us through delays. He's done it before. He will get you through whatever you are interpreting right now as there's no way he could do it and you don't understand why he hasn't done it and you're mad at him and you think that he doesn't love you because he hasn't done it. He hasn't given you a wife yet. He hasn't given you a husband yet. He hasn't given you a job yet. He hasn't, might, he hasn't given you a house yet. He hasn't given you a future yet. He hasn't given you a purpose yet. He hasn't given you a kid yet. He hasn't given you health yet. You don't understand And what God is trying to say to you is you must die to that thing that you want before I can trust you with it. Because if you don't die to it, watch this, you'll die from it. If you don't die to your dream, you'll die from your dream. God many times has had to just strain out 
arrogance in my life, my dreams. See, if I don't die to my dream of leading a healthy church, I'll die from it. And that is the call. That's the irony of it all. Allow, allow, allowed a dead man to die so that he could awaken him to show that if we don't die to our hopes and dreams and whatever it is that we think that we want that God hasn't done yet, we don't die to them, we'll die from them. So that's the message today. God is after your belief and he will not let any good thing rob you of his glory. And so he'll delay things in your life because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the word that you've given us today. This story of Lazarus that we haven't even, we've just, we haven't gotten all of it. We're just starting to unpack the richness of it. Help us to see in the beginning part of this chapter of chapter 11 that you purposely delayed because you loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you purposely delay things in our life too because you love us. And that we need to let things die so that we can live because we are dead. And so God, I don't know obviously every story in the room, but I know there's a lot of people, myself included, that are frustrated with things that have been delayed. Family members that we love that are ill. Circumstances that we want changed. And God, we've believed the devil's lies that you don't love us. But God, I pray that you would help us to see that the story of Lazarus is simply an example of a greater story where it wasn't just that Lazarus died so that dead men could live. It's that you died so that dead men could live. And so God, I pray right now for any men and women listening to this that hasn't died to themselves and been awakened by you that right now you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ, you've never come to, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, come when, you, when he called you, he was calling you to come die. You've never died to yourself and trusted Jesus and been saved and been made alive, then that can happen right now. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but you can follow after me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I understand now that you did that because you love me. And you want me to enjoy you by glorifying you. 
And so I ask you to forgive me, save me. I'm trusting in Jesus because that's what glorifies you the most. Again, nobody look around or talking. If you just prayed to trust Jesus and you're in one of our physical locations, would you simply lift up your hand so we can see you? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who've trusted Jesus, you've been made alive in Christ, but you're still struggling with his delays. I hope you're reminded today that not only did you have to die to yourself in order to trust Christ, but you have to die to yourself every day. Martin Luther said, all of life is one of repentance. And if we were to use the quote from Dietrich, we would say all of life is coming to Christ and dying to yourself every day. Dying to your delayed dreams, dying to your delayed hopes and expectations, and knowing that those delays are because God loves you and he will work it out in such a way where he alone gets the glory for it. So trust him with it. God, I pray that you would move in our lives. We don't wanna die from these things and so we, we have to die to these things. And God, help us to be reminded by the truth of your word that we see here in John that you are good and you, working, you are working things together for our good and your glory because you do love us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.